All right, so we are now in the depth of the Joseph narrative. We already looked at a good portion of chapter 41 last time we were together, two weeks ago, before our, our great 25th anniversary. And as we looked at it, we saw Joseph having wallowed in slavery and imprisonment, shackles about his neck, fetters on his feet. But after 13 years, he is now delivered and God has remembered him. There has been a, a radical refinement. The title of my sermon today is Refined by Famine and Fame. We'll pick up right where we are leaving off in 41. And we'll, we'll grab it at verse 37. Joseph has just laid out the plan to Pharaoh. The plan seemed good, verse 37, to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? This is, by the way, the, the first reference to the Spirit of God being within someone in the Bible. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And voila, Joseph is a 13-year-in-the-making overnight sensation. And, and after all of that refining suffering, here he is now elevated to a station that he could not even have imagined, where Pharaoh says to him, you'll be in charge of my palace, all my people submit to your orders. Kind of the literal phrasing there is, it's an interesting one. All my people will kiss you on the mouth. So I guess that was a sign of great respect at the time. That all my people will kiss you on the mouth. Uh, you know, maybe that's a way that we could honor Clayton, really, as the, the elder of the coastal region. Use your discretion. He looks pretty healthy. So fair. <laughs> Let me demonstrate. So Pharaoh said to Joseph... So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now there's a, a similar scene like this that we find in the book of Esther, where this is the very thing that Haman, the official of, of uh, Artaxerxes, wished for himself to have all of these honors, which ironically ended up falling upon Mordecai. But this was like the great honor of the man that would be the vizier, the, the second in command, uh, the one in charge of the lands, and by the way, traditionally this very position being described here, also in charge of the entire judicial system. Which is wonderfully ironic, isn't it, for Joseph, that he has been a victim of the judicial system, and now he is in charge, the supreme, supreme justice of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave the name Zaphoneth Paneah, and gave him Aseneth, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Now, some people have been critical of Joseph, saying, well, what is he doing taking a, an Egyptian 
for, for, for a wife? And will she not kind of lead him into idolatry as often the case with, with foreign wives? Well, she does not. Certainly does not. That's not me, by the way. I, I think it's done, whatever it was. Feel better? But, but some have criticized Joseph, but where would, where would Joseph go for a wife at this point? Would he have, I don't know, done what Judah did? Could he have gone to, to, to Jacob in, in Jacob's condition and all that was going on there? Back, back to Laban and the darkness that is now hanging on everybody there? It, it seems as though the prohibition in marriage at this point... The prohibition in marriage at this point is against Canaanites. And, and that has been God's will made clear. And so as of this moment, he is not outside of God's will because I'm sure somebody will fix this in a moment. Daniel Walker, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, back, back to the point, if you remember where we were. The prohibition so far from God, the explicit word of God, is do not intermarry with the Canaanites. This is something that he is, is not doing at this point in time. And it, it is actually a, a, a situation where uh, Joseph is being elevated for the very position that God needs him to be, to be part of the solution and the salvation of his people through even this situation. Moving on, verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old, when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 17 years old when he went down into Egypt, 30 years old now as he ascends to this position of power. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities in each city. He put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. And he put away 20% right away and stored it up. He stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. And said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Well, one thing that Joseph plaintively contemplated throughout his 13 years of suffering is, does God remember me? And that was his concern again and again. Am I forgotten by God? But yet at this point in time, it's a beautiful, ironic Conclusion that God has allowed him to forget all the pain that has been all throughout these last 13 years, including the pain of betrayal at the hand of his brothers, the, the pain of his father's grieving over the, pers uh, the perception that he's died, even the pain of slavery and imprisonment and injustice. All of that has now just rolled off of Joseph, and he affirms it.
by the great statement, Manasseh. God has allowed me to get past all of this. But you notice that it wasn't just a simple means by which he's able to get past all of this. And I, and I also think as a side note, that facile or simplistic grieving uh, serves none of us well. But this was a, a really a, a torment of 13 years, a wrestling with the conditions, with the betrayals, with the separation, with forc- being forsaken, and with the injustice that ultimately now he's able to really wrestle with it and put it into the place. And God affirms it as he allows his firstborn to be named Manasseh. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim. And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And not only is he fruitful in his own personal development, but he is fruitful for the sake of the deliverance of the entire world. He is fruitful. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph has said, there was famine in all other lands. But in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And so my first point today is refined by famine. The whole world, as has already been delineated in this text, the whole world, a whole known world surrounding Egypt was plunged into famine. This was not a localized famine This was a pattern that really did affect the entire region there. We know that it affected everyone up through Palestine, through the land of Canaan, because just moments from now, we'll have Jacob bemoaning the fact that there is no food anywhere. And what God is doing through this famine is he is orchestrating human events so that his grand plan will not be undermined. What is his grand plan? Well, his grand plan began when he looked throughout the table of nations and he identified Abram. And identifying Abram, he blessed him and he said to him, here is how I am going to take care of all nations. I will bless you and I will bless you to such a degree that you will do my will and you will be the blessing to all nations. Everything... Abram is now concentrated on you. All of my hope for humanity has come down to you. And through you, you are the conduit by which all blessings will ultimately flow. Through which all nations will one day be reconciled to me, the creator, is God's plan here. And it's a beautiful, intimate approach that God takes and He actually, as he blesses Abraham in Genesis 15, even says to him, but here's something that's going to happen as this blessing is able to be passed from torch to torch, from hand to hand, as as the blessing is passed, as a torch would be passed in a relay, as this blessing makes its way across the generations, there will come a time 
where your people are going to have to persevere for 500 years before I give them the land. Why? Because the land had become so polluted by the Canaanites that God had determined that the only way to see the blessing get to you, to get to all people, was to have the Canaanites completely removed from the land. But God is a just God, and God decides to give them time to repent. And is it fair to give them a generation to repent? Let's say 40 years? Well, maybe. How about two, three, four generations? 160 years? Well, sure. But you know how much time God gives them? He gives them 500 years. In his infinite perseverance and patience, in his long-suffering, God gives them 500 years of second chances. That's astounding. And for those that would criticize God of, wow, look at the way that he's treating the Canaanites. Is that right? 500 years. At some point after 500 years, I think a pattern may be established that might be pretty well ingrained. And, and once that, that, that does, then God will act. But again, that's the big narrative that's going on. Because God is just and because God is long-suffering, the danger is if he leaves the blessing, the conduit for the blessing, if he leaves the Abrahamic line in Canaan, For 500 years, what's going to happen to it? Well, he began to see what was happening to it. As Judah went off and had that dark episode where he's cavorting with not only Canaanites, but prostitutes, at least he perceives to be, when he becomes so unjust, when God has to disrupt Judah just to open his eyes and realize what he's become. But I think then God realizes to himself, my goodness, what Judah has become. What the children of Israel have become. I'm going to have to bring them to a place where they will be no longer corrupted by the polluted society around them. And so God orchestrates events so that Joseph would would end up in Egypt. But then he has to orchestrate events so that he could get all of the conduit of blessing. All of Israel. All of Israel to come down out of Canaan. Out of that population of pollution and into a place of refining so that God's plan would ultimately be realized in Christ and extended to you to be a blessing to all nations. And so what does he have to do for that? He has to have this famine because Jacob was not going anywhere. Israel, that is, was not going anywhere. It required and we'll study that next week, but it required this radical step of a of a famine that brought you to the place of starvation before he would consider going to the one place where God dangles food saying come on Jacob I know you can do this one plus one equals two understand you got nothing there they got food there how about you head on down so that there would be this amazing protection rather than pollution of my people down in Egypt And why does God do all of this? Because he wants the gospel to get to you. There is an uninterrupted line of blessing 
that starts with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, makes its way all the way through, culminating in Jesus, that is then preached to all nations, even to Gentiles, which is you. And this would not be able to be the case if God had not so carefully orchestrated all these steps. But famine doesn't always feel good. And a lot of times when we're even in the midst of famine, we could be saying to God, what are you doing? But yet what he is doing is perhaps protecting you, refining you, and disciplining you for something rather amazing. For, for example, in, in Romans 5, the Bible reads, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That simple chain of events, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. You've all had rough times that have happened to you, either on your way to Christ, or even as you've walked with Christ. And in the midst of the hard time, of the suffering, you probably are not saying, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Unless it's you trying to like grin and bear your way through it and saying, yeah, God is good all the time. What are you doing? God, come on. Right? And, but in the midst of it, you're like, what are you doing? What in the world? What is going on here? If there's a God who is good, how is this happening in my life right now? How is this good? Again, in the midst of it, it's impossible to see at times. Why? Because your own emotions are there with you. And everything is clouded. And it's why it's so important in the midst of those times to have someone who is not in the famine with you at that moment to be able to give you some perspective and lead you to scripture that could help you to understand that, wow, God just might be protecting you or refining you for something rather amazing. I like that even Ryan was talking about even our relationship with money. I mean, how many times have we as a family even had the furnace go, the car go, yeah. the, the, uh, the most expensive appliances yeah. all kind of conspire together behind our backs <laughs> and say, all right, let's, let, let's do it. Let, let, let's hit them all at this one time. And you're just like, what in the world? And you think there's no way, there's no way we're going to be able to pull ourselves through this only to realize, Wow. You know what? We can live with less. We, we can actually rearrange the budget to enjoy simple living and revel in what it is that we have in Christ. That we can be more disciplined and we can be more aware even of what it is that God does provide. Again, in the moment, you don't think so. But you come out of it having been refined, having been, in a sense, adjusted and recalibrated. And you're like, whoa. Wow, I never, I never would have subjected myself to that. But now that I have been, praise God, that that has gone on. So, some of you have actually been really refined by heartache. Heartache in, in romantic interests in, in a variety of different ways. And in the moment you think, oh, my world will never be the same. How can I ever live again? 
And why is every single song on the radio a breakup love song? How did they suddenly cue them all up all at the same time? Every song is now a breakup song, right? Every, I mean, that's life 24-7 until Jesus helps you to come to see, but you got me. And then Jesus starts to become enough. And then he becomes more than enough. And then he becomes overwhelming. And then he just melts our hearts. And we, we recognize as we come out of that, Wow, what I had set up instead of Jesus as the arrival of my heart, as the connection of all connections. You've had it again and again. You've, you've known these things. And, and what is it that God is doing? He is helping you to understand that, yes, you too can persevere. What happens through that perseverance? It's this great word that happens a lot in our New Testaments that, that we have here as character. Uh, there is the word dakime. Uh, it's also used, by the way, right over here in First uh, Peter. Uh, and there the Bible reads in First Peter 5 through 7. I'll, this is 7, but I'll read it through. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come... So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This, this idea here where it talks about the proven genuineness of your faith. This idea of being tested and refined by a fire. That word that you have been proven to be of character, proven to be of worth, is again the word here, dakimas. Dakime over in uh, Romans, dakimas here. And we talked about this word before, but it is such an important part of God's walk with us. I want to keep it before the forefront. And, and it is this idea of, well, it's used in secular mundane usage in Greek language, that if you had a piece of pottery that made it through the hottest fires of the kiln and came out, well, that was then to be the strongest of all pottery. It didn't shatter. It came out stronger than ever before. It would be able to withstand so much at the end of that. And, and that pottery was stamped with a delta. The delta standing for dakimas. And as you're going through the mess in your life right now, whatever it might be, the suffering, the flames heating up, Worse and worse. The trials that you, you never could have imagined. Now, by the way, if these are self-inflicted by sin, well, that's another story. And that's not being refined for greater purposes. That's just being slapped upside the head to realize it's time to get back to God. Right? Well, you know, because of my immorality, apparently God is really refining me for greater purposes. No, 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 no. No, any of the suffering that attends to any sort of sin is just a wake up and smell the coffee. You are far from God. Let's get you back to God. And if this amount of pain in your life as a result of the consequence of your sin doesn't do it, well, I can amp it up. But don't ever think that you're some sort of a special vessel at this moment that is being refined for greater purposes. I'm just trying to get you back 
And once you're back, then maybe we can talk about refining you for something even greater. Got that straight? Okay. Amen. But so, so, so back you go. And now being refined by, by these fires, you then come out built for greater purposes. Being able to use, be able to be used by God in ways that you wouldn't have been able to be used by God before. This is exactly what God was doing with Joseph through those 13 years of refining. It's exactly what God is doing through Israel in a more meta-narrative of bringing them down through famine into Egypt because there's something even more remarkable in store for them. So why is it that your transmission is going to go this week? You know why? Because God has got big plans for you. And when that happens, I guess, as Peter says, in this you now rejoice. Well, even though you may be going through some trials right now, in this you now rejoice. Why? Because apparently you can handle it. Even though you feel as if you can't, and even though you feel as if you're being stretched, that's the very idea. Suffering is suffering. And trials are trials. But God believes you can handle it. And the degree to which you know that Jesus has gone to the ultimate furnace for you is the degree to which you know that he walks through these current furnaces with you. And as he walks with you, you know that you're coming out the other end built for astounding service to our Lord. But maybe you're not just being refined by famine. Maybe you're being refined by fame. This is a hard one. Because, my goodness, after 13 years of misery, suddenly you're brought before Pharaoh and he says, So, young man, I hear you got a lot going on. I hear you can interpret dreams. I hear you're the solution to all the woes that are going on in my life right now, the great king of the great superpower of Egypt says to him. What would be the temptation after all of that? Ah, oh, yeah, I got some skills. You know, you know, maybe let me do a thing or two here and see how it goes. Or, God forbid that God didn't maneuver it for Joseph to go, but if it was Jacob who went. And think Jacob maybe wanting to cut a deal. Or Jacob wanting to negotiate. Rather than Joseph who is ready to just say, hey, nothing that is going to come out of me is me. It's only going to be God. And if anything comes out of value, it's not because of me. It's going to come because of God. Now, at the other end of every suffering is usually relief. Not just relief, but even advancement in different ways. And maybe it is you becoming chief. Maybe it is you getting that job or getting that promotion. Maybe you do get into that school that you wanted to get into. Maybe the dating relationship has finally worked out. Whatever it might be where suddenly you've come back to the Lord and you've repented. Or suddenly perhaps you've had a breakthrough and you've really come to gain so much more out of your Bible study. Maybe through a, a series of help from friends, you've cultivated a prayer life that, that gives you a hop in your step. But God forbid if at that moment you kind of have a Nebuchadnezzar moment where you're like, yes, it is by my hand and my word and my power 
that I have brought all of this about in my life. I, I mean, there's nothing that is so distasteful to God as when we then arrogate those accomplishments to ourselves. You know, 1 Corinthians 4 says, What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? There will be so many great blessings that God will shower into you and your family. And you will carefully curate it and put it on Facebook. It'll be all fame, no famine on your timeline. Right? I mean, it's just the the way that social media tends to work. But if at any point you're carefully curating the fame instead of the famine, so that it is a check me out, look what our family's accomplished. Look at how delivered and how evolved we are. If, If that is even an underlying current, wow, watch out. You know, in Daniel, it says regarding... Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon in chapter 4. He said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what's decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away. As the word was on his lip. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until that you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. I think for a lot of us, because we live in America, we live in the suburbs, we've gained so much from God. You go to a school, if you're in high school right now or middle school, That you have such resources that people on the other side of the world could only dream would be their resources. You live in a community with communal resources that people could only maybe give themselves a small permission to imagine. And it's your life every day. We have such comfort that is brought our way. If we go through even a day or two of our lives where either our cars or our homes aren't climate controlled to our exact comfort level, we're, we're astounded. Right? We've been given so very, very much. And, and we're paying for it. And we're kind of working all of this through to our, to our own comfort levels. If in the midst of all of this, we're not constantly marveling at a God who has brought this about in our lives... God is going to have trouble using us. And, and God wants, wants us to really look at Jesus. I love what Jesus says in, in John 5, where he says, you know, I, I, I do nothing of my own. That's Jesus. I do nothing of my own. Whatever the Father does, I see him do. That's what I do. I just watch and I learn and I follow. That's all I got going on. Like that's, that's the son of God. And I think that's John 5, 19. Intensely paraphrased by me, by the way. If you look it up. That's not what he said. Well, it's in the ballpark. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2, 6. 
the, the most dangerous corruption of the, of the gospel today is the prosperity gospel. And the health, wealth, give me your money, seed to God, is, is all, all part of aggrandizing men, buying the G8, buying the, 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 the luxury that all comes with all of that. To, to, to bring that about for man's glory. It's, it's one of the most heinous heresies that, that, that goes on today. Uh, and to look at Christ, you see nothing of the sort. And if we really are excited to allow the grace of God to refine us so that we know life to the full, well then, we'll shrug off any of these Fame enticements that could come our way. And we'll embrace any of the famines, any of the sufferings, knowing that Christ is walking with you right now through it. And that he is walking you through to a place of astounding effectiveness that you couldn't have even imagined would have been part of your trajectory as you become fully mature in Jesus Christ. There's no mistaking that as we have distance and we look at this narrative, right? We look at this and we would imagine that, oh, let's say uh, Gad or, or Issachar, is, they're sons of Jacob, are, are kind of bemoaning. Going, I can't believe there's this famine going on. Well, doesn't God love us anymore? Right? I mean, if we were to kind of pop into the narrative, we'd be like, Issachar, buddy, you know? I mean, why, why, why so, so, so grim right now? I mean, God's got a plan for you. It's all going to work out. There's a big ark. It's all going to be one. Right? We could, we could say that rather well. But it's very difficult when it's more of a microcosm in our own lives. And so let me encourage you as, as, as we end this great aspect of the narrative. Seeing God's sovereign, intimate hand guiding human affairs so that the blessing that was being protected through this vessel would ultimately come to you. Let me recognize, this blessing is now with you. And you know what God wants from this blessing? He wants it to explode through you. And the way that that's going to happen is through your refinement. And as you're being refined right now, grab a friend. Grab a friend today. And and let them know the ways that God is refining you And ask them, how do you think that this will result in the blessing? Really being able to be proclaimed, magnified through through me as part of the vessels of the blessing. Grab somebody and see clearly what it is that God is trying to do, even here, even now. And amen. Let's break to the fellowship. Thanks.